Welcome to Ledgers and Law, Lessons from the Trenches, where we bring experienced business and legal leaders together to discuss current topics at the intersection of tax, law, and business. And now, please welcome your hosts, Kevin McCoy of Carlton Fields and Chris Rocks of Cherry Beckert. Welcome, everybody. This is Episode 3 of Ledgers and Law, a podcast collaboration between Carlton Fields and Cherry Beckert. I'm here today. This is Kevin McCoy. I'm a shareholder in the Tampa office of Carlton Fields. I do trial work, business litigation, and products liability defense. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Rucks. He's a partner at Cherry Beckert here in Tampa. And we have with us a partner, Chase Wright, uh, out of the Nashville office of Cherry Beckert. I'll let Chris get into the introductions here shortly. Uh, Welcome everybody back. Today we're going to be talking about uh, issues that affect the cannabis industry. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Chris for some intros, and then we'll get right to it. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, as um, Kevin mentioned, I'm Chris Rux. I'm an audit partner um, in our uh, Tampa practice at Cherry Beckert. I'm also the healthcare and life science industry leader for the firm. Um, it's great to be back, back on with you, Kevin, and looking forward to this conversation with Chase. Um, Chase is one of our advisory partners uh, based in Nashville who's done a lot of work um, in the cannabis space uh, from a consultative standpoint. Um, So hopefully we have a great conversation um, here and dive into some interesting issues. So uh, with that, uh, Chase, let me just start off and and throw a a question out there to you. You know, in your dealings with various cannabis companies, you know, what are your observations about the lack of service providers or vendors or or general challenges of that nature? Yeah, well, uh, first off, uh, Kevin and Chris, uh, pleasure to be here with you guys today. Uh, Chris, I mean, that's that's real. It is, uh, there are so many uh, providers who are using the federal legislation uh, against cannabis to uh, avoid doing business with uh, with the cannabis companies. Uh, I mean, it starts with the, the banks, right? Especially those that are federally insured. Um, you know, it could they could face money laundering type charges in general should they uh, do business with a cannabis company or a cannabis company that distributes product. Uh, uh, there are some alternatives, uh, but but not good alternatives, and and it goes beyond the banks, uh, it goes to the, uh, uh, think about your leasing relationships, think about your, uh, your payment processors, uh, you know, and, and some, uh, for some vendors, for some companies, this is a cash only business because of lack of an interaction with the payment processor. There are some, some options that are new, but, uh, it, it's very pervasive, uh, you know, in general, these companies don't have the same protection under under bankruptcy laws in the U.S. that other companies do. And so many, uh, many because of that, there are many service providers who just shy away. Real problem. You know, I, I'll tell you one observation I've seen, gentlemen, is not only on the banking and, and uh, related service providers, but insurance. I mean, insurance is a huge problem. And, and I will tell you, I have personally looked at lines of coverage that have been offered to those in the cannabis space and they are illusory. I mean there is no coverage whatsoever when you read the exclusions, the riders, and they're still charging a premium. 
I mean, there is a very niche market uh, of insurance providers who are really giving meaningful coverage to those. I'm not even talking about on the, on, on the high THC marijuana side, on the, on the CBD side, low THC. And you just have a lot of problems, and it's something that they have to study closely. I mean, they really need to be looking with a fine-tooth comb uh, at any kind of insurance coverage that they may be purchasing for their business, even if it seems as benign as, you know, general liability or employee coverage, EEOC kind of stuff, because there are so many exclusions that become a problem be just because of the nature of this space. But that kind of turns to another question for you, Chase. You know, typically, even outside of the vendor context, uh, you talked about this being a cash business, but they need to do fundraising, you know, or they need to do equity events. And traditionally, there are two paths, right? There's private money, there's public money. And what are you seeing in terms of the private money and the deals that are being done and the cost of that money relative to others who are outside of the cannabis space? Sure. Uh, well, you, in general, uh, we have seen a lot more interest uh, as more states come online, right, uh, from private equity. And, uh, you know, there is... Uh, I think there is there is a ton of interest and, and there's some folks who are writing checks. Uh, and so that's good. But with uh, with those, there's a supply demand in private equity. There's a lot of dry powder out there, but, you know, there's still risk that a, a, a private equity fund, you know, has to contemplate the same risk that we were talking about, Kevin, uh, you know, the risk around, uh, you know, can these guys, uh you find a vendor to do business with. Can they insure their employees? How would they attract talent because of these types of problems? Um, so, you know, in general, I would say that private equity comes with a real premium, um, you know, over and above even uh, other uh, industries that are high growth, be it a device industry or uh, a pharma industry, early pharma industry, there's just a lot more uh, premium that's required because of the risk that's out there. Yeah, Chase, I think you're, you're spot on there. Um, I just ran into that recently uh, with a client of ours out in Oklahoma looking to raise some private funds and the, 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 the premium charge was almost usury rates um, is what they were getting. So they're really, really struggling to get the capital that they need, um, you know, to run a, a, a proper business, um, have the proper systems and controls and policies and procedures and personnel um, in order to run it uh, just like any other company. So it's, it, it is a problem, but, you know, Chase, what do you, you know, uh, Kevin brought up the, the public market. Um, you know, what are the avenues that you're seeing companies take um, from a, from a public standpoint, uh, acknowledging that currently, you know, you can't technically go public in the U S given the federal uh, laws. Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, well, you, you guys follow the industry close enough. Uh, you probably have heard that, you know, the Canadian Stock Exchange, the CSE, is also the, the CSE acronym is also known as the Cannabis Stock Exchange uh, because there are a lot of companies who have found liquidity by listing in Canada. Uh, but that is not a perfect solution by any means. Uh, in fact, it's... Uh, Lately, we've seen it become less popular. Uh, you know, in general, uh, first off, uh, in the U.S., uh, essentially, ca cannabis is regulated at the state level. Federally illegal, but regulated at the state level for practical purposes. 
in Canada, uh, federally legal, and you can list and trade on the exchange. In the U.S., you can be public. You just can't be listed. Uh, you can't trade on any of the exchanges. N none of the exchanges allow the trading. Uh, in general, the risk that brings if you're if you're a foreign investor uh, and you invest in a Canadian company doing business in the U.S., there are certain custom and border protection laws you can face should you try to enter the U.S. Uh, you know, detention, denial of entry, etc. So that it, and then the other real downside is the requirement to list. You in Canada, you can go public uh, with U.S. Gap Financials, but eventually you have to transition over <clears throat> to a different set of uh, accounting standards, mostly IFRS, and the reporting under IFRS is very different than U.S. Gap uh, for this industry. Uh, in particular, it's it's one of the most uh, it creates one of the most uh, uh, contrast of any industries I've seen. Um, so a lot of U.S. investors do not understand the financials and it creates a lot of uh, stress for the CFO trying to explain the IFRS financials to U.S. investors. Uh, so that's an option, but it comes with uh, a lot of caveats for sure. Well, it sounds like in some ways, uh, <laughs> the first place my mind goes, Chase, is it's like a bad law school exam uh, in terms of all the international layers of civil procedure and complexities and everything else. But it sounds like what you're saying uh, is there's more expense. You know, you're going to jump through more hoops. It, you know, there's no cheap path here yeah. uh, given the current regulatory framework, no matter where you go, whether it's on the private side, whether it's on the public side. But talk to our audience a little bit more about why going public and going public on the Canadian exchange could be an option for people sure. uh, if, the, if they so choose. Sure. Uh, and, and good point, Kevin. In uh, some of the companies that are public in Canada, dual list on the Canadian exchange where they trade, but are also public uh, in the U.S. So to your point around cost, you have double the the. Uh, the regulation costs as far as listing, uh, if that's the case. But, and you may also uh, have two different sets of financial statements, one under IFRS and one under US GAAP. Uh, you know, so you, there are a lot of companies who have created very significant market cap uh, cannabis companies by trading in Canada. Uh, you know, it, it, it is still a, a very hot industry. Um, you know, you see various funds, EFTs set up in the U.S. Uh, investing in cannabis. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it liquidity is there for sure. It, it just comes, it's, it's not the perfect solution because of all these challenges within the industry. Uh, but, you know, in general, there is a lot of investor interest, uh, you know, uh, lower than the private equity level, the individual level, where there are uh, traders who want want some action, and and you can get action, and you can raise liquidity through the Canadian exchange. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, and um, I think another thing to bring up, something that I've observed, is it's not just U.S. Uh, companies that are going to the Canadian exchange for liquidity. Uh, I was speaking with a, a colleague in Colombia uh, the other day, and uh, he mentioned that the companies down there are also looking to. Um, go public on the Canadian exchange because it is, like uh, Chase said, um, it's the cannabis uh, stock exchange. The, the, the world is, is effectively trading there. So it's, it's a very, very interesting um, 
you know, scenario for companies. Um, but in that regard, um, Chase, you mentioned the dual filing, um, you know, in your experience, you know, what, what challenges have you seen with companies as they, uh, perhaps previously worked or continue to trade on the Canadian exchange, but then also may have to file in the U S as well? Sure. No, it, it's, that's a great question. Uh, I would say the, the CF, CFO's job uh, becomes inherently more difficult should that be the case. It, the, the differences between the two sets of accounting standards are very significant. Under IFRS, uh, essentially the, your inventory is subject to fair value. So you end up accelerating quite a bit of net income through a fair value adjustment to your inventory. It's, uh, it's a non-cash type uh, adjustment, and so very similar to how you might fair value equity or debt, uh, you're, you're essentially fair valuing your inventory, and so your profits are accelerated. Generally, if you look at one set of financials, one under IFRS and one under US GAAP, you know, for a cannabis company, you would typically see under US GAAP a 50, 50 to 75% reduction in net income. So if you're a CFO trying to explain that to an investor that, you know, is interested in the industry, um, you know, maybe even knows the industry a bit, it's a hard pill to swallow and it's hard to explain. It's hard to understand. Uh, so, you know, we, we see some more sophisticated companies wanting to move away from IFRS if, the, if, they're, if they gain scale and they've they found enough financing so that they can begin to present under one set of standards to eliminate that type of confusion. What, what is the uh, takeaway here, Chase, for companies who are considering, you know, the, the, the fundraise or a liquidity event? I mean, you know, we just did an episode with one of your colleagues, uh, episode two, where we talked about think about your end game on the front end. You know, how, what's your exit strategy? And it sounds to me like that's still a key here. You know, you need to be thinking about that uh, on the front end. Is is your goal to sell private? Is your goal to, uh, you know, go public? But talk about how companies now can plan for that and put in place some of those steps so that they are ready to move if they hit that growth spurt and they're ready to do it or they need the fundraise for operations or whatever reason they might want to get into uh, this analysis, but they've got the building blocks already in place. No, it's it's a great question, Kevin and, and Chris. Uh, you know, you probably uh, can, can contribute to this question as well. You generally, you know, I think all options are still on the table for cannabis companies, and the solution that fits one is not not the right uh, solution for for all. I think private equity is a very viable route, and I think that there is a lot more interest, but but with that again comes an expensive investment. Uh, you know, a lot of cannabis companies or, or the larger cannabis companies are now moving toward the U.S. exchange and they're watching the political environment and they're watching uh, this election season. Uh, you know, it, the uh, the the trading on the NASDAQ on all, on all our exchanges, uh, you know, is not illegal. It, it, there just is no safe harbor that has been given to the exchanges to actually do the trading. So, you know, politics is is important. Um, you know, the Canadian exchange still is a very viable route if you can overcome those hurdles that we talked about. So, 
you know, I, I would say that uh, it depends upon the size and, and the facts and circumstances. Uh, but the, the more mature uh, companies we see looking to list on the U.S. exchange to start explaining their financial results, I think it provides credibility to private equity. I think it provides credibility to uh, everyday vendor to be list to be public and to to have SEC financial statements. Uh, of course, you can't trade now, uh, but you know that spigot could be turned on with uh, with some political maneuvering. So I think uh, a lot of folks want to be there. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You talk not to get political on this podcast, but w- irrespective of who wins the election that's uh, coming up here very shortly, if if uh, for some reason the tides were to change in the United States, you're suggesting that some folks may be chilling on going public right now, but getting their ducks in order to go public in the United States if that market opens up is what I think I hear you say. Yes. The, the, the more you read, the more you talk to these companies, uh, I think there is a real interest in being uh, uh, having your financials filed with uh, with uh, the SEC and having SEC financial statements ready, perhaps having done an S1 to, to have public uh, uh, you know, ability to, to trade should, uh, should the political tides turn. We, we definitely see that, um, you know, in the, in the interim, you know, I think having the credibility of having the, your financials, uh, approved by the SEC pro- provides a lot, whether it's to the private equity markets or again, to, uh, to your, your, uh, state charter banks, to, to vendors in general who provide services to, to cannabis companies. Yeah, Chase, I think you um, you kind of hit the nail on the head with one word there. It's credibility. Um, to get back to Kevin's original question, I think that's what uh, companies in this space need to focus on um, is ensuring that they have you know uh, the proverbial house in order. You know whether that's um, you know from a financial standpoint in terms of policies and procedures, you know, or systems or whatnot. But you know the ability to demonstrate credibility is going to lead to their ability to either raise capital to expand fund operations or otherwise, or, you know, when they, they want to exit. So whether that's private equity, venture capital, you know, going public, um, you know, trading on in Canada or in the U.S. at some point in the future, it's really all about that, that credibility, um, you know, of the operations and, and of the the, the personnel and the people that are involved. And that's, that, that has to be a focus uh, from the get-go because um, every, as we talked about last podcast, Kevin, you know, every time a business starts, you should be thinking about the exit. Absolutely. Yep. And that's a key, key component, especially in this industry. Yeah. Well, this has been great, guys. That's our time for today. Chase, thank you so much. This was insightful. This is great. I, I love the ongoing conversation, uh, kind of real time as we're watching things emerge here, even politically and in this space. Uh, Chris, thank you as always. Um, As uh, everyone who's been listening knows, you can catch this content on the website for Cherry Beckert and Carlton Fields. This has been uh, episode three of Ledgers and Law. We hope to see you uh, for future episodes. And if you enjoy it, reach out and let us know. Uh, If there are topics that you'd like to hear about, do that as well. Uh, And thank you very much, everybody. Have a great, have a great day. Thanks, gentlemen. You've been listening to Ledgers and Law, Lessons from the Trenches with Kevin McCoy of Carlton Fields and Chris Rux of Cherry Beckard. 
This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields or client relationship with Cherry Beckard. Thanks for listening.